The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the season finale of the Smallville Gazette, a PapiChuloRadio.com original series. PapiChulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, August 18th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Superman and Lois. Please welcome my co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, Smallville. And Professor X. Hello, Smallville, or what's left of Smallville. Exactly. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 15, which was titled Last Sons of Krypton and aired August 17th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Superman's worst nightmare comes to life. Lois confronts Leslie Lahr. Lana, Kyle, and Sarah agree to stay to help General Lane. Fun little fact, this episode, the season finale, season one season finale of Superman and Lois, was directed by Arrowverse, CWverse, whatever the hell you want to call it, a veteran, Tom Cavanaugh, from over on The Flash. So, uh, well, he's no longer on The Flash, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, So, props to him. So, let's talk about this episode. So much happened so much happened it it was it was a lot it was very was weird job. about it was you say so much happened but like so they have all of the stuff all the the, the yes. conflict and the fighting, Tell me. and it finally ends and i looked down at the calendar and there's still 15 minutes left in the episode I'm like, <laughs> how is this possible yes there was still 15 minutes left. And I, you know what, Professor? That's a brilliant point because I read that a lot online. Everyone was like, okay, so they ended that and there was still 15 minutes left of the episode. And they were like, what? And yeah, and we were all like, what? We got to have a proper epilogue, which I feel like we hardly ever get on a CW season finale when it comes to these superhero shows. I feel like we always have the final conflict until like those final maybe five minutes, and then we get a slight breather, but then there's always a cliffhanger. And yes, we did have a cliffhanger, but it wasn't the kind that you think that you kind of might have. So let's talk about this episode. Where did we leave off? Um, Jordan had been kidnapped. He had been eradicated into... Burm, burm, burm. Zetaro. We had uh, Tauro become the Eradicator. Sorry, I had a frog in my throat. <clears throat> we had Tauro become the Eradicator. Supposedly, he was eradicated forever. Uh, Leslie Lar was in custody. Uh, the people of Smallville were revolting against the DOD. And we basically pick up exactly where we left off with all of that going on all at the same time. Let's talk about Jordan first. I want to talk about Jordan, him being Zeta Rowe, 
And we're going to go into right now uh, how they got him out of the Zeta Ro-ness as well, uh, with uh, Lois and Jonathan helping out. Uh, Professor, we were worried about Jordan last week. Clearly we knew Jordan was not going to die, but we were worried about him because the stakes were raised uh, exponentially at the end of the previous episode. Uh, what did you think of how they handled Jordan as Zeta Rowe? And what did you think of uh, both uh, Lois and Jonathan being involved in bringing Jordan back from the Zeta Rowness? Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, uh, the actor playing Jordan did a pretty good job. You know, he didn't have to do the voice. Uh, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, the conflict between him and uh, and Superman was, you know, pretty good because it sort of set up that, you know, even if Superman is the better fighter or stronger, he can't bring himself to hit his kid, even if his kid is possessed. So it puts him at a tremendous disadvantage uh, in terms of the fight. The way they got him back, I'm not entirely sure, you know, I uh, I buy this. I mean, you've got this incredibly dangerous figure. Um, and, and Lois's argument is that, you know, this 14 uh, year old is the strongest person I know and I'll find a way to get through to him. And, and yes, I, I, I kind of buy it in the grounds that I'm sure my mom would have said the same thing about me when I was 14 It's what a mom would say. It just doesn't strike me as the truest thing. We haven't seen Jordan being the strongest, smartest, best person in the Kent family of the Kent children this season. So to make the argument that he's the strongest person uh, you know, I that, uh, that I can break him out of that. Uh, I'm not sure I buy that. I also, you know, so uh, they put the devices on and, and Lois goes into his memory. But then when Jordan loses control uh, and, uh, you know, is facing off against Jonathan, he's not wearing the device, but Lois is still somehow in his memories. I don't get that. It looked like a continuity error to me. Um, having said that, they, they, you know, tying it up with the, you know, uh, you know, the thing that finally pushed him over the edge was hearing his brother say, I love you. Uh, that was quite touching. And, uh, you know, and, and you know, a, a nice use of, you know, scenes from uh, from uh, earlier in the season, you know, uh, you know, giving us that, that little recap that he's going through. And, yeah, OK, he did shake it off. And, you know, you, you kind of had to have it happen that way, because what else are you going to do? You know, slap kryptonite cuffs on him. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I, I accepted it. But even as I was watching, I was thinking to myself, this doesn't seem completely realistic. And I say that in the context of all the other crazy shit we're going to talk about. But yeah, that, that did put me a little bit off. See, what's interesting is that I did notice that the device was off when he came to. And, and so that bugged me for half a second, but I just had to like go with the flow. So I get you when it comes to that. I think what Lois was trying to convey, and it's a plot point that has gotten lost in the season because they haven't really brought up uh, like Jordan's anxieties and, and, and that sort of thing as much as they did at the start of the season. So I think what Lois was saying, because like we had a little bit of exposition, she was like, you know, I've brought him back from the darkness before. You know, I've been there. I can get him out of this darkness. I think she was alluding to that. And maybe it's because we haven't experienced Jordan with like extreme anxiety like we did at the start of the season. I think maybe that's why that was sort of lost a, a bit. I don't know if it was necessarily that she thought he was like the strongest, best person ever. I mean, I know that she was saying you're stronger than Zeta Rowe, but I, I think that's the kind of thing that you, you say someone when you're trying to bring him back from the darkness. Um, so I, I think that was, I think that's what they were trying to do. And because we haven't really 
disgusted in a moment, maybe that it, it didn't really connect. Um, but I did like that it was Lois and Jonathan. I did like that Superman basically, you know, earlier in the episode, I don't even remember the, the line, but it was a really nice line, like, you know, basically telling Lois that, you know, they're going to, um, win this because of her as well. I think, you know, because he's Superman, you know, it, it, it can sort of get lost, uh, you know, the, the non-powered people can sort of get lost in the shuffle. But in this episode, we saw a lot of the non-powered people doing some pretty impressive things. So uh, I, I like that little reminder from Superman that Lois is strong and powerful in her own way, much like Jonathan was as well. Props to the choreographers or whatever, whoever ended up deciding to have them hug in midair. I love that moment for the brothers. It, it was incredibly heartwarming. And uh, I, I enjoyed that moment for the three of them. Uh, Millie, what about you? Your take on Jordan Zitaro and uh, mother and son uh, saving uh, brother. I I agree with the professor in the sense that it it the, some suspense and belief had to be um, put there. I think for me it was I do get I think that's what they're alluding to in terms of the his anxiety, but I just thought it was weird that it wasn't. We had touched on the beginning of the season, but I wish it was something that was carried through. Um, I think it was more like this implied, again, the like, uh, tell, don't show kind of thing that like she's been working with him. And I think, I don't know, I love the ending Like when it is Jonathan that gets through to him. I think it might have been more impactful if Jonathan's the one that like goes through and pulls him out of the darkness um, in that consciousness. Just because I feel like we've really seen that brother development and Jonathan has been a little bit like Jordan's rock through this whole getting powers and kind of navigating all of that. And he has helped him in that sense. Uh, but I did thought that was a really touching moment when they had that. Um, and it was nice. It was the three of them while Clark can go do the Clark thing. Um, and I like how we had discussed last week, like, Oh, how's this going to be in terms of, you know, they can't obviously hurt Jordan because you know, it's their son, it's their brother. But I do like how in a way, besides the fight sequence with Clark, it was uh, Jonathan that kind of had to, be able to be ready to shoot this odd gun at his brother if needed to be. Um, so they kind of, instead of having it on Clark, on Jonathan as well, and I think he handled that really well in terms of like being this calm brother, kind of like what Lois has said before. Yeah, totally. I, I agree with that point. Uh, can we talk about for just half a second how stupid the Smallville people are? Because I just couldn't. Like that whole scene with them protesting at the DOD... Like, I get it. Y'all are still pissed over that town hall because you didn't get the answers to the questions that you wanted. But after seeing what the fuck happened over in Metropolis, y'all are going to be out and about protesting at the DOD when clearly shit is going down in the world? I just, I was so annoyed with all the Smallville people. And at that point, when, when, um when uh, uh, the Eradicator showed up, I was like, I hope they all get fucking eradicated because they have annoyed me. Professor, were you pissed at the Smallville people as much as I was? Yeah, I mean, it was it was playing off what we saw in, in the previous episode, which was, you know, and we talked about it at the time, like, why are they behaving that way? It does seem uncharacteristic. And again, maybe there were scenes that were left in the cutting room floor. I think, you know, really the reason, you know, from a simple story point of view, why they did that, having the whole town do that, was to set up the Cushings as the exception to that. 
mm-hmm. you know, ha- having Kyle and Lana, you know, uh, basically arguing against that, that allowed them to stand up to the town, be seen standing up to the town, to be seen on the right side of things. And it really set up uh, Kyle's hero turn later. So I think it, it might have been done for story purposes, but even, you know, well-developed characters like uh, like Chrissy. Uh, we're sort of doing that as well. It seemed like the whole town, like I could sort of buy it if you said that there was some sort of, you know, mind control alien or something that was turning them against that. But for the, like the whole town to be reacting in this way, when all we heard last time was that, you know, the presence of the military is hurting the businesses downtown. Well, that's no reason to be, you know, reacting like that, especially as you say, when you've seen that, you know, what happened in Metropolis, Morgan Edge is back. Maybe that should explain to you, oh, that's probably why the DOD has been around and maybe they're protecting us rather than, just being in the way. So yeah, that did bring a little untrue to me. And also, I mean, Smallville's in Kansas, you know, Kansas is, you know, pretty red country. I I think they'd support the troops. That is true. Yeah. That's, that's a funny little point. Millie, were you annoyed with the Smallville people? Yes. And it just, it felt out of place. Like when it cuts to that, I'm like, Oh, escalate quickly. Why? It just didn't make sense for all the points that both you and the professor mentioned. Um, it just it felt forced. They had to continue with it, so you know, I guess I went with it. Okay. Yes. It also really un- undercuts, you know, towards the end of the episode when Superman is delivering his monologue, uh, and he's talking about you know, uh, you know, Smallville, you know, banding together. They didn't band together. They protested the DOT, then they ran like scared chickens. You know, the only people who behaved honorably in all of freaking Smallville were three Cushings. That was it. That's all we saw in this episode to justify Superman saying, you know, the wonderful people of Smallville and how they band together. Bullshit, Supes. Uh, they were the worst. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think what he was talking about is like them banding together after everything that happened because we did get shots of Smallville, like all of Smallville helping each other out, cleaning up and that sort of thing. But I agree with you. In the heat of the moment, Smallville uh, crumbled into pieces, and they were all idiots. And they were all so stupid with how they were trying to escape Smallville. Like, it was just, I, uh. Anyway, I was very annoyed with Smallville, for the most part, in this episode. I mean, Smallville is a small community. You could walk out of it faster than you could drive out, getting stuck in that horrible traffic jam. Like, everyone driving out and saying, yeah, it just, boy, they really... They did not shower themselves with uh, with uh, honor uh, in this particular case. I agree. So let's talk about the the main problem in the episode, and that is the Eradicator. So so much is going on with him. He ends up crashing into the mines because he's going to use the X Kryptonite to. I guess they didn't really explain this, but my guess is that he's going to terraform the planet to make it Krypton. I guess. Uh, but so Eradicator's doing a whole bunch of stuff. As I mentioned, Leslie Lar has been captured. Uh, we do get a really good moment between Lois and Leslie Lar. So before I, I move any and like at all forward, let's talk about this. Millie, did you like Lois confronting Leslie Lar? I did. I also enjoyed I felt like Leslie brought a lot of sass and a lot of confidence for someone that has been captured. Uh, so that I was know, a really right? good moment. You know you're a badass when you're captured and you're still cocky as fuck. Definitely. Like, it, it put me, like, it definitely put, like, I was, like, my antennas went up because I'm like, you're way too confident, Leslie. 
Exactly. So she tries to get intel from Leslie Lar because of Jordan. There's that the other. She gives her zip, and she's basically like, it's too late. And the look on your face is the same look I had when I knew I couldn't save Krypton. Burm, burm, burm. I guess. So uh, the our super people, our super team, they end up devising a plan. Um, the Eradicator ends up uh, taking some DOD um, soldiers, and he turns them into the Krypton Defense Council, which I guess is supposed to mean something, but since they didn't really explain it, um, they are a little fancier than the normal people that are eradicated because the Eradicator ends up using kryptonite he crushes it and i guess when he care bear stares them the kryptonite goes in them i was very confused by all of it because i thought that was going to make them extra dangerous but then it was like nothing professor do you have an answer as to any of this because i was a little confused were you yeah my explanation would be that it was x kryptonite that he was crushing and blowing uh, into them okay. with care bear stare because then that would explain what happened to uh to trig earlier in the season um, but he was doing it in conjunction with this. So again, as they established, you know, because the, the soldiers weren't Smallville natives, this wouldn't be a permanent thing. But as uh, Lara said, it doesn't have to be. It just has to last long enough for them to accomplish whatever it is they want to accomplish. Okay, I like that answer. So now we've got a whole defense council of uh, DOD soldiers, and we have the Eradicator, and we have Jordan playing the role of Zitaro. And so we see John Henry using red solar energy with his hammer. And we learn that he's only going to have one shot to basically throw the hammer as far as possible, physics, energy, whatever, and it's going to hit the eradicator. And that is going to, I guess, eradicate him. So, all this is happening. We see all of them fight, so Superman and Steel fighting the Defense Council, as well as Zeta Rowe. When Zeta Rowe gets knocked out, that's when uh, Steel takes him to Lois, so we already discussed that. And we end up seeing the Defense Council following uh, Superman, and they end up getting him, and uh, it I don't even, they like all got on top of him. It was interesting. I don't know what they were trying to do. But Steel uh, ends up taking care of them. What ends up happening to them? We don't know, but we assume that they were uneradicated or eradicated from the eradication. Who knows? Uh, but uh, Superman ends up getting the Eradicator in the right position. Steel, his energy consumption or whatever of the suit, the backup energy is like at 7%. But he ends up throwing it and the Eradicator gets eradicated and uh, it looks like Steel is about to die. And we get flashes back and all that kind of stuff. But Superman ends up saving Steel. And at the end of all of this, Talro ends up still being alive. He has been eradicated from the eradication, so he is just Talro. And he sa- he tells uh, Kal-El, you know, all I wanted was a family. And Kal-El is like, well, you had it. <laughs> and, and that was really it. So, let's talk about this. 
let's, well, I, I will also say um, Superman ends up doing an interview uh, with uh, the Smallville Gazette where he basically spills all the tea. Like, he gives all the pertinent information of everything that happened from Morgan Edge being a Kryptonian to him implanting people with Kryptonian consciousnesses and the fact that that contraption no longer exists, so that cannot happen again. So let's talk about the resolution of the big uh, bad of the season. What did we think of the eradication of Tal Rowe? Millie? I was really sad he didn't die. I thought there was going to be a death. Well, I I do know that you love bloodshed. (laughs) Exactly. So um, I... And, like, I guess it makes sense, and I, it does set up for an interesting thing where he isn't dead, so he can come back. Um, so I, I can see the potential why you don't want to kill him off, and I think it, it has other storylines in terms of he's technically a Kryptonian, so there's that and the brother of uh, Clark. Uh, I do like to say the whole hammer-throwing thing I thought was really great, like CGI, um, like definitely where the budget went, so I thought that was action-wise really cool to see. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Professor, what about you? What did you think of how they handled Talro? Are you disappointed that he didn't die like Millie? Or are you excited because you enjoy Edge, and so you're curious to see what they're going to do with this character in the future? Um, I like Edge. I don't think they'll bring him back uh, in a villainous role. I think they've uh, they've dealt with you know the evil Kryptonians, and they'll they'll come up with something else for season two. But I like having him around because you know you know uh, as was made clear in this episode, Superman did lose the last link that he had you know to his father. So the fact that he does have this half brother, even one who is you know a bit bitter and twisted, I'm sure that you know Clark is the sort of person who would still go and visit this half brother. Um, and and try to turn him around and 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 try to speak to him. So I think there is still some meat on those Talro bones uh, that can be exploited for story purposes, um, and and I like that. Also, Superman doesn't kill, uh, so you know. And technically, you could argue that it would have been um, uh, you know Irons who uh, who actually killed him. Uh, but you know the 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 explosion went off at Ground Zero, affecting both him and Superman. I mean, how did Superman? recover from that quickly enough to save John Henry. Uh, you would have thought that, you know, if, if, you know, you had the power to knock the eradicator flat out of edge uh, and, you know, did this, you know, does he still, will he still have his Kryptonian powers? Did he have them then? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's, there's still some questions to be answered with that, but no, I didn't, I didn't mind not killing him. I, I think he's, he's an interesting and complicated character, um, you know, and, and what he was doing with the eradicator was, you know, because of, you know, the way he'd been conditioned by his father, um, you know, he wasn't, you know, entirely responsible. I mean, I don't want to get too much on the, you know, uh, friend of the villain bandwagon, but no, I, I wasn't uh, sad to see him die. Uh, and, uh, and, and I do think that it leaves, you know, the possibility of, uh, of Clark trying to reach out to him uh, and make that connection. So I think we probably will see uh, both him and uh, Leslie Lahr, uh you know, next season in, in small roles. I, I, you know, I don't think they're going to be an arc. I don't think it's going to be a big, bad situation, but I think they'll be there just as a sort of, you know, reminder. Okay. I do think Leslie Lar will be a looming threat, just as far as she's going to be bad, like, no matter what. As far as uh, Tao Ro, I do agree with the professor. I think they could have him as, as a, not an ally, but I, I think they could rehabilitate the character. And you mentioned uh, Clark Superman going to visit him. I want to ask you a follow-up, Professor. Do you think that Lois 
could also be a character that ends up visiting him. And the reason that I'm mentioning Lois is because Lois went into Jordan's subconsciousness. And at the time, Zeta Rowe was in control. And so she got to see a lot of Zeta Rowe and how Zeta Rowe was to Tao. Do you think... We didn't really get this in the episode, so this is just headcanon for right now, for me, until we actually see some of this in the next season. But do you think that maybe some of that, like seeing how Zeta Rowe was to Tao, could garner some sympathy from Lois, and and maybe Lois could be a character that ends up visiting him next season as well. I think it's possible. I think under ordinary circumstances, uh, you know, that would never happen because, you know, Lois is very protective of her kids. And so she would see Morgan Edge as the guy, even if it was the eradicator who was in charge, she would see him as the person who, who threatened Jordan. But as you say, I, otherwise, why would they have shown so much time of uh, Zeta Rowe uh, being a you know, the total dick bag that he was uh, to, uh, to Talro? So I, I do think there's a possibility of that. Um, I think, you know, it does give her a better understanding of him. But again, they, they didn't really deal with that. And uh, yeah, it depends. It, I think it's, it's possible, a bit unlikely. And as we'll talk about, Lois is going to have enough familial dynamics to deal with by the end of the episode. True that. True that. Okay, so here's a question that I have for both of you. So John Henry Irons, he throws the hammer. He is successful. But his power has been depleted, even the backup reserves, as I mentioned. And he is falling to Earth. And we are getting flashbacks. Uh, Clearly, the flashbacks were also, you know, a little foreshadowing of later on. We will discuss that in a little bit. But at that moment, as you're watching the episode, did we think John Henry Irons was going to die? I'll start off with Millie, because she was hoping for bloodshed. I don't think you maybe wanted John Henry Irons to die, but did you think in that moment, were you worried for John Henry Irons? I was. I was very worried. That is not the bloodshed I wanted. To, I would want to see you right. Um, I really enjoyed Irons. I think this episode kind of reemphasized how much I liked, I liked his character. I think he's one of my favorites. Um, so I was super worried, especially because we were seeing a lot of flashes, and I also think that like his story kind of got a little bit of closure. Like He was able to help Superman defeat the eradicator he's you know got like revenge and was able to save this earth lois i'm like his story's kind of done for the most part if he dies he could die sort of happy so i was a little bit concerned professor millie brought up a lot of great points because if if you really think about it iron's story could have been over so were you at all nervous? Not necessarily think, saying, you know, that you thought 100% he was going to die, but were you nervous that, Hen- that John Henry Irons was going to die in that moment? You know what? If it hadn't been for what they did at the end of the episode, he should have died in that moment. Um, because, you know, he's a man who sacrificed everything uh, to do this, to to save a world. He couldn't save his own world, but he could save this world. And, you know, for him to to realize he had succeeded in doing that and he's been portrayed as a man who really has nothing aside from an annoyingly intrusive ai you know he has no friends no family nothing as much as you know and you saw you know uh at the end of the episode when lois and clark were trying to reach out to him and and it wasn't working with him um you know he's a man who feels like he's lost everything so to give him that win uh and if he had died at the end of it it would have been you know uh, a good death um 
Uh, I am kind of glad that, as I say, I did have a problem with the fact that Superman recovered so quickly. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I didn't mind that. And, and I am glad that he survived, that he can, you know, enjoy the fact uh, of the uh, and and now, you know, the bigger challenge for him is, as we said before, he's he's a character who was so driven by hate. That was his motivator for, you know, the first half, three quarters of the season. Uh, the object of his hate is gone. Uh, how is he going to adapt to that? How is he going to live, uh, you know, a, a more conventional, normal life? Um, he's obviously, you know, technical genius. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, what will he do in this world? I think that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Totally. I love the little bromance between uh, Steel and Superman. I- I'm enjoying the friendship. I'm enjoying the kinship. I also enjoyed the teeny tiny little moment with uh, Jonathan. And uh, Steel, when he brings back all of the weapons that he stole, the look on Steel's face was fantastic. So let's talk about the Cushings. The Cushings had a lot to do in this episode. First up, they show up and they help uh, Jonathan and uh, the General, Sam, uh, you know, after what uh, the Eradicator did. We see a moment with them when they're at the DoD base in Smallville where the three of them decide, you know, we're going to stay and we're going to help out. And they try to help out as much as possible. They calm down the crowd of Smallvillians. And uh, later on, when, you know, after they help uh, spreading the word that they have to evacuate Smallville, we see them helping everyone when shit hits the fan. And uh, we even see Kyle rescuing someone from a fire. We see um, at the end of it all, uh, they're there and uh, they're, they're helping clean up with the rest of the Smallville-ites. And it looks like everything is cool with them in regards to how Smallville was reacting to them. We get a tiny little moment. It is a tiny moment. Once again, it's probably headcanon for me, but I don't know if either of you had the same headcanon. We see the mayor. The mayor that was such a dipshit to the Cushings. And we see Lana give him a look. My hope, because we didn't get the storyline of somebody running for mayor on another show. Maybe we can get it here. We can get Lana running for mayor. So we'll see. We also had a really nice uh, sort of like bookend to the conversation that uh, Clark had with Lana in the previous episode. Once again, sort of like telling her that she's the heart of Smallville. I wonder if that was a teeny tiny little seed that was planted for next season. Uh, Professor, what did you think of the Cushings this episode? Kyle's redemption, the Cushings redemption, the look that Lana gave to the mayor. What do you think? Uh, it could be read that way. Uh, it is at this point purely headcanon, but I think it could be interesting. Uh, you know, Lana doesn't have a job right now. Um, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Clark did, you know, sort of anoint her as Martha's heir apparent as the uh, the heart of Smallville. So that would be an interesting uh, route for her to take. Um, I, I would certainly sign on for it, but I don't think we have enough to to reasonably speculate as to, you know, whether the likelihood of it happening or not. Okay. Millie, what about you? Everything Cushing's. What would you think of them in this episode? Um, I, I agree. I would vote for Lana if I lived in Smallville as mayor. I, 
I felt like when they had that whole spat or, or a moment with him earlier, it, it felt like there was potential because she was not happy with him. I felt like that seed was planted a few episodes prior, and I do agree like that. Look, there was something there. Um, in terms of the story, I guess I'm glad that the Cushings have been reaccepted into Smallville. I felt like it was a little bit... Um, I guess very small town, like, what do you do for us? Oh, now now you save somebody, you do your job as a fireman and save somebody, so we'll forgive you. It just felt a little bit, like, wishy a bit, but it puts Kyle into the graces and the Cushings don't have to leave, so I guess it's positive that they get to stay. Okay. See, even Millie's happy that the Cushings are staying. And there were no deaths with the Cushings. I think, you know, we've said this before, uh, way back in episode one, we, we probably would have seen Kyle die by the end of the season. And uh, surprisingly, we're all actually happy that Kyle is alive. So, yay for the Cushings. Let's do a quick uh, romance update. Uh, so, uh, something that I didn't mention, because, you know, th- that cliffhanger was insane in the previous episode, it, it was the fact that when uh, when uh, Jordan ended up getting kidnapped by uh, uh, Tal Rowe, he told Sarah, I love you. And so we get payoff with that in this episode because Sarah's like, I, I heard you, and I love you too. So uh, they're happy. And we also got a little glance uh, from Jonathan to, uh, uh, oh gosh, what was what's her name? Tegan? Yes? We'll go with that. I feel like that's her name. We see the little glance there. So clearly something's going to happen there. Uh, I don't know if either of you have anything to say about the teen romance in this episode, but uh, both of the brothers have a little boo-thang, which uh, props to them. I guess that's all we're getting for that, which is fine. Well, as if the family dynamics weren't hard enough for Lois and Clark this season, they're going to have to be dealing with their sons dating. Uh, Now that Jonathan did have a girlfriend, uh, you know, back in Metropolis. Uh, But, you know, obviously we're going to be dealing with the, uh, uh, the comic book cliche of I've got powers and I'm dating someone, but I can't let her know I've got powers. At least Jordan should be, shouldn't be running off to fight crime on a regular basis. So it might not be as hard for him. Exactly. Yes. And I just double check. Her name is Tegan. So I had it right. All right. So let's see. Oh, before we get to the to the big cliffhanger. So another little seed. Sorry, that... I just want to point out that if Jonathan does start dating Tegan, mm-hmm. that would mean that the Kent boys are dating Tegan and Sarah. Is that a show or a music people? T- oh, my God, you Americans. Uh, extremely well-known Canadian uh, lesbian sister pop duo. Tegan oh, and Sarah. okay. Shout out to the Canadian lesbians. I, I will Google them. All right. Have they crossed over into the States? I think they had some songs. Uh, remember uh, the uh, Everything is Awesome song from the Lego movie? Yes. That was them. Oh, nice. Oh, they made a whole lot of money off of that. Tegan and Sarah Quinn. Shout out to the Canadians. Okay, so another little storyline that had payoff in this episode that was planted in the previous episode, the Smallville Gazette is, is, is being sold to a big uh, conglomerate. But is it? No, because Lois steps in and uh, she uses some of the money from the Metropolis brownstone that they had to invest in the Smallville Gazette. So... Uh, yeah, so now uh, Chrissy and uh, Lois 
our business partners in the Smallville Gazette. Are we excited, Professor? I am. Uh, you know, I, I love Christy. She's she's a great character. You know, she's had a pretty good arc uh, over the course of this season as well. It's funny, like seeing her, you know, standing next to uh, Lois. Uh, and again, it sort of reflects the power dynamic between them. I think earlier in the season, I'd always thought of Chrissy as being shorter than Lois, uh, but it turns out she's taller, uh, which you know I'd never noticed before. Some people just play taller uh, than they actually are, or or play shorter because I think you know the actress playing Chrissy was playing her as, you know, um, sort of fawning over Lois, understandably. Uh, I just have one question for you, and this is something I was going to mention in the things we might have missed because, uh, you know, uh, I won't have another chance to mention it this season. What is Chrissy's last name? Beppo. That's correct. Do you realize that Beppo is the name of a super ape from the Superman cartoons? Oh, really? It's, it's bugged me ever since I heard Because when I first heard it, I thought, well, I can't be the right. I mean, surely someone has to know. Beppo the super monkey along with Crypto the Superdog and Streaky the Super Cat were part of the, uh, the super-powered uh, pets of uh, Superboy and Supergirl. That is so wrong. Surely someone had to have known that. I mean, that has to be a little wink, a nudge. A, a, some, there has to be someone in there going, see what we did there? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yes. Uh, hopefully that is an Easter egg, or if not, it's an insult for Chrissy. But um, <laughs> I, I do enjoy Chrissy. I'm glad that we're getting a, a whole bunch more of Chrissy. There was an interesting question that was posed to one of the showrunners, or the showrunner, from, uh, I think it was the TV Line interview that I read, and they were like, you know, this big conglomerate that was going to buy them, could it have been CatCo? And the answer was basically like, you know, we kind of wanted to keep it vague. I don't know if we'll ever have an answer to it, but, you know, maybe, I guess. I thought that was kind of neat. You know, another little thing to sort of try to tie this show into the other shows, but it did not happen. So the other thing that uh, that happened in this episode that was kind of big that happened at the end of the episode was the fact that uh, the general is stepping down. Instead of focusing on the world, he wants to focus on his family. Uh, we also get, get a little bit of intel that it seems like the DOD has been reaching out to Irons, so maybe Irons will be working for or in charge of, I don't know, maybe, the DOD next season. Uh, Millie, your thoughts on the general stepping down? And what do you think of this? Because the general was basically the liaison, you know, between Superman and the military. And so now Superman won't necessarily have uh, as uh, a liaison that he's close to. I was surprised. I mean, like when I thought about like, it made sense that he would sit down. I think that there might still be something wrong with the general. Oh. Um, I don't know, like health-wise, I just feel like there's something there. Because uh, they kept on mentioning, back. you haven't checked it out, you haven't checked out your injuries, and you think that's what it is? Yes, maybe? yeah. Cause it, and then I think it was kind of mentioned, like, he looked a lot more hurt than I think, like, an arm in a sling, um, and, like, at the end of the last episode, but I could also just be wanting, you know, more drama. But <laughs> I agree in terms of it does present an interesting, um, like, gap for Superman, and that's why I think that, uh, Irons will maybe become like a contractor or be the in for the DOD because um, all superheroes have some in at an interesting government organization and to lose it and after season one for Superman alone seems a little odd so I feel like they'll find a new in at the DOD. Okay. 
Professor, anything to add in regards to the general? Uh, are you much like Millie, worried that there might be a like oh like uh, looming health concerns based off of the accident, or do you think the general made the, the right decision to uh, step down? Uh, I'd like to add that, you know, we joke a lot about Millie being bloodthirsty, but sweet zombie Jesus. I mean, the guy's guy's arm in a sling and you're <laughs> carting him off to the morgue. I, good God, what is wrong with you, Millie? You are a monster. Um, I think it kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, you know, he, he after everything he's gone through over this arc, uh, you know, and, and I think and also his realization, you know, those those times he had with Lois where he realized that he hadn't been the best father and and sort of seeing that. I think it, it does kind of make sense. I also think from a storytelling point of view, um, you know, as, as you know, following up with Millie was saying, not killing the general, but uh, following up with Millie was saying about, you know, it is a bit of a, a cliche having that in with the DOD. And and we saw that it wasn't just that Superman could call on the DOD because it's, it's his father-in-law anytime he wanted, but Lois could as well. So they're both going to be losing that, which I think is good from a storytelling point of view. I mean, you already have the strongest person on the planet and the world's best investigative journalist giving them that extra you know, the guy can just show up with kryptonite or special weapons or or anything anytime he wants. And I'm sure he'll still have contacts in the DOD. He can, you know, call in some favors and stuff like that. But it will be whoever replaces Sam Lane, uh, you know, could be someone who doesn't have who probably isn't Superman's father in law and therefore might be a little more skeptical about Kryptonians, particularly after the Morgan Edge incident. So I think that might lead to a little more tension and a little more uh, conflict for them. Totally. That could be very interesting. It's funny, once again, much like Kyle, like, uh, I would not have been surprised many, many, many episodes ago if the general had died. But now I'm glad that he didn't. I'm really enjoying this iteration of Sam Lane. Well, and in both of those 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 characters' cases, and you could have seen, yeah, certainly if we go back to you know that first episode or the first couple of episodes, we could have seen them, and, and they were both presented as, as hard-ass characters in conflict, but both of them their characters grew over the course of the uh, the season and partially, mm-hmm. if not exclusively, due to, you know, the the impact of, of Lois and, and Clark on their lives. Uh, so it shows that people can grow. Uh, are you listening, Millie? You don't just have to kill people when they're inconvenient. <laughs> they can change and get better. Can I just say that it is, wasn't just growth for both of those characters. It was tremendous growth. Like, both of them went through an, their own, like, you know, pair of incredible arcs this episode they were they're like night and day almost from the like the very first episode of the season to the season finale so props to the writers as well as the actors to to be able to convey that because man character growth you gotta love it there was a tiny moment that we saw in this episode where uh, the kent family um, they uh mourn jor-el uh, the AI, uh, because remember it was crushed a couple of episodes ago. They gave uh, Jor-El a proper burial. There was an interesting little line of like, oh, the sun always shines brightest on this tree, this or that or the other. Some people online were like, well, maybe the sun will sort of recharge it and make it, you know, fuse together or something. I don't know if that's going to happen. But it I was... just have to interrupt at this point because mm-hmm. Lois's line was like the it gets the best sun here. It's the only goddamn tree in the field. <laughs> that is true, though. That is true. It, but it's going I'm, to get well, all the sun all the time. It was just a stupid, stupid line. Wait, wait, wait. It is a farm. I don't remember. Wasn't it like crops? I could see it? They showed it. It was. It was not a tree that was near any other tree. It was. There's the house. 
in the backyard is one tree and then you go all the way back to the barn. There is nothing around to cast a shadow. There is no sense that the light here would be any different. No, I'm saying where th- was I can't remember the exact image, but past the tree, did it look like it was like an area for crops? Because I'm thinking maybe if it's corn, if the corn goes up, then, you know, it wouldn't have as good of a I don't know. I'm just how, trying to... how high do you think corn grows, city boy? Oh, I really don't know. Do you know? Yeah, not not higher than she. Yes, I'm I'm a country boy. Oh, okay, excuse me. Oh, look, the, the professor's pass has come to light. I don't think I knew this. Corn grows to about head height. Oh, okay, all right. Millie is conspicuously quiet because I would assume she is not a country girl either. I've been in some corn fields. I oh. I concur. It's head height. Well, <laughs> okay. For me, I'm short, so it's like way above head height. But yeah. Okay. All right. We'll find out later what Millie was doing in cornfields. But um, was there a beer in hand? Uh, no. Just some confusing maze paths. Oh, okay. Well, you know, anything can happen in a maze. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, then maybe Lois's line was silly. But uh, removing the silly line. What did what did we think of this? Did, do either of you have any opinions on this? Do we think potentially the crystal could come back? Or do you think this is a good thing? Because, uh, you know, maybe uh, Soups' father, that might have been a little bit of a crutch. Because once again, as the professor sort of stated with the general, you know, it's too, too many connections. Uh, it's a little too easy for Superman. And so this could be a, a way to, um, to sort of... Uh, um, lessen the ease. Whoever wants to jump in. Yeah, I don't think they're going to bring it back. And, and Millie, you can count one death. Congratulations. I, yes. I hope you're happy. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, on another story level, because, you know, the whole story about Superman and the crystal uh, and the AI is that he was learning from his father. Well, now he's the teacher to his son. So it makes sense that he no longer has that crutch. He's got to be the one who's responsible. And you could even see that, right? When, you know, every time something would happen, he'd be running off to his dad uh, or his dad's AI to uh, find out what was happening with Jordan. So I think it does make sense, um, you know, from a storytelling point of view, you know, basically putting a bow on that part of his life. You know, he is he's now going to be the father who's training someone to follow in his footsteps rather than someone who is being trained by his father to follow in those footsteps. So I think it, it, it does give a nice little, uh, you know, uh, closing uh, of, of that one chapter uh, and the opening of another. And, you know, if, if you're a total bloodthirsty monster, uh, you can, you know, you can be joyous that, you know, a beloved character has died. Was he really beloved? Well, Jor-El, not necessarily in this show, but Jor-El as a character has been reasonably beloved, okay. certainly in comparison to Zeta Rowe. Well, clearly, yes. Millie, were you excited that Jor-El died? <laughs> you know, it's not satisfying. I'll count it as like 0. 0.75 of a death. Okay. Well, I guess that's, you know, it's almost, that's close enough to a 10. All right, so we're here at the end of the episode. John Henry Irons is ready to leave Smallville. You know, Lois tries to convince him, and she's like, you know, hey, we do need some extra hands on the farm, and, you know, both you and Superman can do some super stuff, and this, that, or the other. But he's like, no, you know, he's going to venture off on his own. He might finally 
actually connect with his sister, you know, instead of chickening out like he did before. And he also gives Lois, you know, an, an important truth. The, the professor alluded to it uh, earlier. And it's the fact that um, he's just not 100% comfortable in the situation. And she's like, well, no, Superman doesn't see you as this, that, or the other, and whatever, whatever. And she's like, he's like, no, it's you. Like, every time I see you, I understand you're not my wife. You're not my wife. You're not my wife. This is a different earth. You're not my wife. But I see my wife. And uh, that's a feeling that I just can't shake, even though I completely understand you're not my wife. So, uh, you know, they, they, the, um, the, the amount of convincing that the Kents tried to do to get him to stay just, you know, isn't there. And uh, they're ready to uh, wish Irons off. But his AI interrupts and is like, there is, you know, um, an anomaly in the atmosphere that is tracking your suit. And this is out of the other. A ship crashes down on the farm and outsteps his daughter, Natalie. And they embrace. She looks over and she says, Mom? Question mark? So, let's talk about this. For a moment, it did seem like Irons... Sorry, Millie. Natalie's not dead. I know, right? For a moment, it did seem like Irons was going to leave, which was very sad. But now he has a reason to stay, which will probably still be very sad. Because, come on, the girl thinks this woman is her mother, and she really isn't. Uh, So, let's talk about this. Uh, Irons is here to stay, it seems. His daughter, Natalie, professor, is alive and well. Um, Something that was interesting that we all assumed was the fact that Irons must have traveled from his Earth to Superman's Earth because of Crisis. But clearly, Nat was able to do it. And this was not Crisis. So, uh, is there another reason that John Henry Irons was brought to this Earth? I don't know, it's a big question. But what do we think of this? Uh, We've seen Irons bonding with Jonathan, bonding with uh, Superman, and he was ready to go, but now, you know, he's going to stay, it seems. Maybe. He's got his daughter back. Uh, Let's talk about this. Millie. What did you think of the cliffhanger for the episode? Oh, I, as soon as like, they're like, something's coming. I was like, oh, it has to be his daughter because it was an oddly quiet ending. But a quick note, I did just really love the moment with him and Lois because I think it was such a mature and way to handle it and got to see a lot of like his thinking like it's nothing he's never been jealous and it's a lot of kind of depressing too it's like i just can't be around you i understand like this is where i'm coming from kind of true things so i really appreciate that it was like a small moment but i really thought it was like a very like poignant moment and then kind of also sad that then he has his now he definitely going to stay and there's going to be family drama and it'll be very interesting to see but it was also such a touching reunion to see him and him reunite with his daughter. So um, I love that it was such a good little cliffhanger because it wasn't too cliffy, but it was enough and we could see it was probably coming. I think it was expected that Natalie would appear at some point. 
Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, Professor, the cliffhanger. You're someone that said you didn't think Natalie was going to show up. So that's why I mentioned your name when I said Natalie is here. Uh, what did you think of Natalie showing up? Do you think that there is some other reason as to why both Irons and Natalie are able to uh, basically go from you know, one parallel Earth to the other one? Um, do you now question whether Irons came over because of Crisis? What are your thoughts? So many questions. Yeah, I think sort of we were working from the assumption that it was Crisis and therefore that his world was destroyed. Um, if Natalie made it through after him, does this mean that she was, you know, following him this much time has passed since she left, in which case his world still exists. So, you know, the, you know, the characters in Superman and Lois are going to find out the multiverse does exist again, uh, which is something that no one else in the Arrowverse knows. Um, uh, are they going to be content to be, to flee here as refugees or would they, you know, think to themselves, Hey, I want to go back and save my earth. Um, I think uh, there's, there's some interesting stuff there. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, from the assumption that it was, you know, crisis-related, you know, crunching the Earth together, uh, there is no reason to assume why, you know, uh, Natalie would have been able to follow him. Uh, I, I think it's it's curious, and, and I really don't know what they're going to do with it or how they're going to do with it. I don't think they're going to make as much a big deal. One thing, I did really love the way it was played because, you know, when, uh, you know, uh, when Natalie first steps out and uh, Irons has his reaction – and the Kents had their reaction. And Lois is the only one who doesn't seem to have a happy reaction because Lois is the one who realizes, oh, my God, this girl thinks I'm her mother. Um, and Bitsy Tulloch did that with just a look. You know, she didn't say anything. She didn't have to do anything. Uh, you know, but that set up uh, Natalie's reaction of mom. I don't think she'll have the same difficulty adapting to it as uh, as her dad did because her dad's there to sort of walk her through and explain, no, this isn't your mother. Um, what I'm kind of curious about is, you know, when you think back to when uh, Lois and Jonathan were watching those videos, we all talked about the fact that Jonathan seemed to be having developing a little bit of a thing for Natalie. Uh, and now here she is in the flesh. How interesting is that? Um, so uh, it's curious. And, and I, I, I do wonder because, you know, I also read that TV line interview uh, with uh, with uh, the, the showrunner. And he made it sound like, you know, they were, you know, sort of not quite making stuff up on the fly a la Lost. But, you know, they didn't have things set in stone. They, they you know, continually adapted and readapted. And, and maybe even with the... Uh, the extended COVID schedule that allowed them to to mess with things and and tweak things even more than they would have. And so I wonder whether maybe this is something they were planning for all along, uh, and then they decided to bring in the Tegan thing later. So I don't know. Are they going to pursue this possibility of a romance between uh, Jonathan and her, or uh, is is that going to be something that they're just going to to abandon? Um, I don't know, but I think it it would be interesting, and you would have the uh, the conflict between you know the parents of uh, the two kids who are dating, uh, in the same way that you know they're going to be dealing with that with Cushing's, which means that the Cushing's are going nowhere from story purposes, uh, because uh, you know uh, Jordan's going to be dating their daughter. Um, it could be very interesting. I, I don't get the feeling that Irons, as much as he you know seemed to be developing a nice rapport with Jonathan, uh, is the sort who would be uh, comfortable with someone dating his teenage daughter. My only concern is. Because it would be a parallel Earth's Lois, so it wouldn't it be, like, her exact DNA? Like, wouldn't that be a little ancestral? Hey, come on. We've talked about this. The Arrowverse has no problem with that. Okay. <laughs> Barry and Iris were basically step-siblings. 
the step sibling is a little different than full blood, so that's the only and thing. But that um, is an interesting question, and and I think yeah, that I, I think maybe uh, you know that might be why they're sort of bringing the Tegan thing in there, um, and, and maybe it's just that you know uh, you know Jonathan respects her, but yeah, I think we all kind of agree at the time that Jonathan seemed to be developing a bit of a crush on uh, this mystery woman, um, but. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that is a, an interesting, you know, question that, you know, if they were going to go down the romance road, they would obviously have to establish something to uh, to take the sting of that off. Exactly. Exactly. Unless they want to appeal to a very niche clientele. Well, there is that too. Um, yeah, in the interview, the thing that I got from it that, you know, based off of what you just referenced, Professor, is I think if this had been a normal season, maybe without them sort of like re um sort of like reworking stuff because of covid because of the breaks and all that kind of stuff i think they would have killed off talro but i think they fell in love with the actor so much because they gave him a lot of praise and and they even sort of said you know we're looking forward to somehow bringing him back um i I think that's what changed things i think had it been another actor you know that would have done you know a fine job as well but maybe not the same rapport you know with the crew or etc you know they could have killed him off so i'm glad they um they didn't and uh, we'll be seeing some more of him i'm excited to see what they're going to do with Nat. i feel like they can't repeat the same stuff with irons so i agree with you professor i think it'll be a little bit smoother but um, seeing her with all of them and, and maybe her being a reason for Irons to stick around, whatever reason that we need, uh, I'm glad Irons is sticking around. Uh, I enjoy him as an actor, as a character, and uh, I want to see him with the Kents. I feel like they are now, you know, this this really strange blended family. And strange because it's, you know parallel earths and all that kind of stuff it's it's kind of neat it's like a makeshift family sort of like um you know over on legends you know where with sarah lance and black siren you know it's a parallel earth situation but she still sort of sees her as her sister so i I think that's kind of neat when you know you can just create this little family from a different earth all right was there anything that i missed a teeny tiny little moment Anything that either of you would like to chat about before we head into um, some bold predictions or hopes and dreams for next season? Can we all just quickly give props to Tom Cavanaugh for doing the damn thing in the season finale? And and props to the writers. I mean, you know, I mentioned the fact that, you know, there's still 15 minutes left. and But, you know, they did. They wrapped up every storyline. You know, because, you know, uh, they, they really, you know, everything, you know, uh, with a nice little neat bow on it, as well as giving us the uh, the kickoff for uh, for next year. And as you mentioned, you know, Jonathan uh, and uh, and Tegan, um, you know, uh, obviously setting that up. I wonder whether, you know, because they did mention, you know, her her father was, uh, you know, uh, a criminal from Central City. Uh, you know, we know that over on The Flash, they're going to have like sort of semi crossovers for the first five episodes. So that might be setting up the Superman crossover. Maybe. Yeah, that's good thinking. All right. So predictions for next season. Superman and Lois does not return until 2022. So they have a long break. They will premiere once again at mid-season. Where do we think things go from here? What would we like to see? 
bold prediction or maybe just a hope for something in the new season? Millie, do you have any predictions, any hopes and dreams for season two of Superman and Lois? Any characters you want to die? Uh, um, she wants the Tia one that to die. Didn't die. <laughs> uh, Wolfie, she she's still you know in the doghouse for the whole using Jonathan to get information. So <laughs> I haven't fully warmed up to her. Um, I think for me, I would like to see a a independent storyline for Jonathan because a lot of it he's been like support and he's. And seeing that adjustment, so I kind of want to see him, and not a storyline that is like solely around his love life. Just something like some kind of development for him, whether he becomes like Henry Iron's sidekick, building weapons, or something like that, or taking a like liking to science and stuff. I kind of want to see him develop on his own, um, away from his brother and things like that. And the other thing, and it's funny that the professor mentioned it for me, or like a prediction, is I can see Leslie becoming like at least the big bad for the first half of the next season or just presenting a problem on her own because I think that the actress did really well with it and the fact that she was overconfident, there's so much more I think she has up her sleeves. Very nice. Professor, what about you? What would you like to see in season two? Uh, I co-signed that I would like to see uh, Jonathan get a good arc. Uh, you know, we talked, you know, certainly early on, uh, you know, uh, in in uh, in our recaps that uh, you know the uh, Jordan, uh, the actor who plays Jonathan, uh, is is very good, and you know, always played that character very well. He was, you know, often our MVP. You know, rather surprisingly, you know, um, you know, uh, even though he wasn't given as much to deal with. Um, uh, what I hope they don't do is develop, you know, the uh, the sort of simmering resentment that, oh, my brother's got powers and I don't, meh. Um, I, I think he's he's played it really well not going down that route. And uh, uh, I think in, in the same way that, you know, as we've said before, he's he's kind of, you know, the, the relationship between uh, Jordan and uh, and Jonathan is is a, a sort of an analog to the relationship between uh, Clark and Lois. You know, one of them doing the ground level work uh, and and one of them off flying in the sky. Um, and, and I think that gives him uh, a reason to, uh, to do that. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how Lois will adapt, to, uh, to small town life, you know, cause she's still kind of the outsider, you know, uh, and she, she still has that sort of the big city approach to things. Um, so I'm interested to see, interested to see what's going to happen at the Smallville Gazette. Um, I, I'm kind of, I, I, it's not that I dislike Leslie Lahr and, and I like the actress and I really liked her in this episode. I'm kind of hoping they get away from, you know, a, you know, uh, you know, uh, another Kryptonian or a Kryptonian level physical punching. Uh, I would rather see Superman go up against someone whose power set is completely different, like someone, you know, mental manipulation or, uh, you know, uh, technology or something along those lines. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing John Cryer drop by, but uh, I don't know whether his take on Lex is uh, is appropriate for the show. And and I really, you know, I know it was it was COVID and everything like that. I would like to see the show be, you know, a little. If it's going to be based in the Arrowverse, I would like to be a little more based in the Arrowverse. You know, what we got in this whole season, we never did get a Kara reference. Um, so like. It, I have no idea why. Like, we don't know what's going to happen at the end of the, the Supergirl series. Maybe, you know, Supergirl's going to end with Supergirl being erased from everyone's memory, and that explains why she was never mentioned on this show. Um, but, uh, you know, all we had was, you know, Diggle coming across and a couple of reference to Argus and and, uh, uh, and all that. And that was basically the extent to which this show was based on, based in the Arrowverse world. And when you think about it, you got these Kryptonians running around. Um, surely someone else would have shown up. 
And and again, I, I said, you know, from very early on, I understand they're trying to do their own thing. Uh, they're, they're trying to create their own thing. But if it is going to be part of the Arrowverse, it should be part of the Arrowverse. Yeah. That's, or the CW-verse. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, that's my big prediction as well, just to co-sign what you said. I understand COVID and Delta variants. Like, I understand that it is very difficult to get different shows to co-mingle at this time. I just really want small references. A little line, I was on the phone with so-and-so. Oh, I'll call up this person to do a little bit of research. Uh, there is a thing called Skype and FaceTime and Zoom, where people can chat without necessarily being in the same room. Uh, we have adapted to that during you know, quarantine. I'm sure we can see something like that with the characters on the show. Uh, that's all that I really want, a phone call, a text message, you know, just at least a reference to what's been going down on some of the other shows. That would be nice. So my hope is that that can happen in the next season. I also, um, I, I, I mean, I agree with what everyone else has said. Jonathan having his own storyline would be nice as well. Uh, I would like to see Lois, uh, Whatever is going to happen with the Gazette, like, I want to see Lois and Chrissy sort of, like, front and center and, like, maybe uh, the Gazette's doing what Morgan Edge couldn't do, somehow revitalizing the town. I don't know how that would be, but um, but maybe the success of the Gazette is what brings, you know, businesses and, and something into the town. Um, I think that would be kind of interesting. I kind of now want Lana to run for mayor. So I hope that that ends up happening. And uh, interestingly enough, um, right as the series was ending, you know, the episode was ending, right before we got to the cliffhanger, I was like in my mind, okay, we need a time jump. We need like a year later or something like that. You know, this series is, is being brought back at the mid-season point um, in the CW's television season. So that means January, February, like March, somewhere around there is when this series is going to return. So it's going to be off the air for a significant amount of time. So I was like, we definitely need a time jump, maybe like a year later. I forget what year the uh, brothers are in school. Are, were they freshmen? Like, are they going to... So I was like, if they're freshmen, like, I need them to be sophomores. But after that cliffhanger, I don't know if I really want a time jump. Like, I kind of want to get all of their emotions, you know, right then and there. So I don't know if I want a major time jump when, you know, everything is like normal and they've gotten over the shock and the awe of everything. I kind of wanted to pick up where we left off. So I hope they do that. Maybe they can do a time jump a couple episodes in. Uh, but I, I really want to get, like, the raw motions from that final scene. Like, I want to see what happens next after she says, Mom, question mark. So, uh, we'll see what ends up happening. Um, and I don't know if, I think Natalie is a superhero in the comics. So, if she ends up uh, becoming that, uh, that might be kind of neat. You know, a suit for her and, and all that jazz. So, now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. The MVP for the season finale of Superman and Lois, Millie Wood. Who's your MVP and why? Uh, 
that's hard. There's such like everyone had a part, and there's so many like emotional bees that people like did great win. But I'll have to give my MVP to John Henry Irons. I just loved like his whole character development and kind of come the culmination here to see him uh, understand like the risk he's going through and kept pushing through even though like he's going to fall from space and could die and then just the small moments uh with Lois really sealed the deal in terms of just seeing everything like all this baggage his character has like carried and the reunion with his daughter is just perfect performance by Wooly Park and I just really enjoy this character and I thought the ending for him was really nice fantastic choice professor what about you who's your MVP and why uh, my MVP is Tom Cavanaugh. This was a really well-directed episode. Uh, you know, the action was done great, but the character stuff was just as good. Uh, and as I said, you know, realizing there's 15 minutes left in this episode, what the hell can you do in 15 minutes? Because you would never have that happen on any other CW-verse show, that you got 15 minutes of epilogue to wrap things up. And they did so beautifully, like in a very moving way. Uh, you know, uh, I thought it was, uh, you know, just really, really well done. And at the beginning of it, you know, the shots where, you know, um, uh, where uh, Superman and Lois are reacting to uh, the loss of, of Jordan, uh, that was done silently, just seeing their faces. Um, you know, the, the acting was great, but I think it's, it's a really good director. Uh, that allows all of those performances to be so good. And as Millie said, there were a lot of great performances in this episode. And I think some of the credit for that has to go to Tom Cavanaugh. Fantastic choice. Yes, uh, great choices for MVPs. Good grief. Now y'all have left uh, a cornucopia of people that I can pick from for MVP. And I am going to give it to... Uh, I'm going to give it to Jordan. I thought the the actor did a really good job conveying that he was a different person in this episode. I loved the cold, you know, sort of like the, the coldest steel look that, that he was giving as Zeta Rowe. Um, I thought he did a great job with it. I also loved him, you know, when he was given the chance to sort of break free as himself i thought he did a really good job with that and the really tender moment between the brothers you know when you know he was finally able to break free i, I thought that was just well acted uh props to him so now it's time to rate the episode how would you rate this episode on a scale of one to ten red capes the point system is allowed and if you found the episode exceptional deserving of more than a 10 you may archive the episode in the fortress of solitude professor how would you rate this episode you know, I've mentioned a lot of the problems I had uh, with the episode, you know, uh, you know, the moments that, that didn't quite add up to me, but I still have to put this in the Fortress of Solitude. I mean, this was just a fantastic episode, and what a great end of the season to, like, really wrap things up, as well as giving us some openings for next season. But, uh, yeah, the, the, structurally, it just, it shouldn't have worked as well as it did, but it did. It was just a, a wonderfully written, wonderfully acted, aside from the line about, uh, you know, the light in the tree, uh, but it was just... <laughs> Man, I just love this episode, so I'm, I'm going to archive it. All right, we've got an archive already. Millie Wood, what about you? How would you rate this episode, the season finale of Superman and Lois? Um, I, well, I think I had a lot of the issues that the professor had, similar issues with the storyline, but I just say, like, 
the direction and the way that it was filmed, like, and that's been a theme for the whole show. It felt very movie-like, and the way they intercut everything helps increase the tension as things shouldn't work or shouldn't have been as invested, um, and it was really well done in that sense, and be able to not go by the super same formula where it's like everything gets crammed into the last five minutes of the episode, um, and we actually got to see something and kind of clean the slate for the next season. I'll have to give it nine red capes. All right, we've got an archive. We've got nine red capes from Millie Wood. I'm going to archive it as well. I enjoyed it. It's incredibly rewatchable. I was on the edge of my seat with suspense. Uh, we had, uh, you know, um, 15 minutes of an epilogue, something that we don't typically get on an Arrowverse, CWverse show. We've got a pretty good cliffhanger. And I will give the writers props as well, much like we did uh, a little bit earlier. They were able to wrap up all of the major storylines in this episode with like time to spare. So props to them for being able to do that. And it was a visual feast for the eyes. It was a beautifully shot episode. The special effects were incredibly crisp and clean. We did not hear the professor uh, bitch about uh, Canada getting <laughs> the bad special effects so that means that all the special effects were wonderful yeah it was it was a really solid hour of television um so yeah uh, it is getting archived in the forces of solitude so now it's time to grade the season we're going to give the season this first season of superman and lois a letter grade a b c d f pluses and minuses are allowed Let's, you know, because I feel like she's going to be a wild card. Millie Wood, you can go first. How would you grade this season of Superman and Lois? I was surprised the grade I, I decided to give it because going in, I didn't have, like, high expectations um, for it, and I wasn't really sure. But it pleasantly surprised me that it was a, a show rooted in family and I think it made us care for characters I didn't really think I'd care for and there's the introduction and, and the show not being afraid to go with what works and what doesn't work. There was a couple of like pacing issues in the middle um, and I know they definitely got a little wonked with like COVID and everything like that but overall for like the first season I think they did really well um, with what they had and what they had to work with so I'd have to give it a solid B. Alright, a solid B from Millie Wood. Professor, what about you? How would you grade uh, this first season of Superman and Lois? Uh, I'm giving it an A. I think the whole season uh, was tremendous. Uh, it was a little longer than they originally planned, so that might have explained some of the, you know, the the padding that happened uh, a little bit at times. Uh, but overall, I just I love the approach. It was a it was a grown up show, uh, even though you know a couple of the leads are kids or several of the leads are kids. Uh, you know, the the way they dealt with everything was done in a very mature way, very thoughtful way, and it gave us you know those that new take on the Superman and Lois relationship, you know, which is, you know, a relationship that's been around for decades in the comics and in movies and everything like that. But this showed them in, in a different light. Uh, and uh, I think they did a great job of, of allowing Lois to shine uh, when, you know, it's, it's very easy to sort of focus on the guy who's flying all around. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think honestly, this is as good as the first season of Black Lightning was, uh, which for me is, is, you know, the high watermark for, uh, for seasons of CW verse shows. It's funny, Professor, because you mentioned Black Lightning, and, and I'm going to mention it as well. But I'm going to give it an A+. I thoroughly enjoyed 
this season of Superman and Lois. And I echo the love for Black Lightning because this season reminded me of Black Lightning. I mean, the shows are, are very different, tonally different as well. Uh, some of the stakes were, were different, uh, you know, during their first season and this, this series' first season. But at the end of the day, it's about family. And it's about a family that's trying to save their community. And uh, I thought this, this series was just beautifully written, wonderfully acted, perfectly cast. I thoroughly enjoyed it from beginning to end. Uh, I mean, all-stars this season, uh, Tyler Hecklin, Bitsy Tulloch, Wally Parks, uh, all the kids were fantastic. Uh, the, the writers were able to write kids in a very mature kind of way, but also al still allowing them to be kids. I mean, they still acted uh, and reacted appropriately for characters, for the age of the characters that they are portraying. Um, yeah, I, I just, I could give it more and more kudos, but I think just by saying that I'm giving it an A+, I mean, it's enough to say that I thoroughly enjoyed the season, and uh, I would 100% recommend it to any of my friends that might be curious about it. Yes. So, uh, on that note... We would like to thank everyone for joining us these past 15 episodes. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Poifect. All right, from Smallville back to uh, National City next week. If only they'd killed a few more characters, Millie probably would have given it an A. I know, right? <laughs> well, I mean, those DOD yeah. officers, we never really did find out what happened to them after they were in the yeah, Good point. Now, thinking about that, Millie, yeah, she doesn't care unless they're like a named character that, you know, you come to care about. She, she doesn't, you know, kill. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Smallville Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, for the final time this season, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, listeners. See you next season. And Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. Um, see you in 2022. And if you want to follow along with me, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. From all of us here at the Smallville Gazette, we wish you a good night.